Welcome to the Say Network podcast. I'm Megan and I'm here with Jim Sparks and with Abraham, our producer. And we have a really great episode for you guys today. Um, We're going to sit down with majors Rob and Amy Reardon from the Seattle Temple Corps. And we're going to talk about what their experience has been like as Corps officers who were um, at Corps appointments and then spent an extended amount of time in administrative appointments and then recently returned to Corps ministry. So we're really excited to sit down and talk with them about their experience. Um, But before we do that, we want to just spend a few minutes talking about youth culture and resources. Yeah, uh, mine is, uh, this is actually, uh, falls in with resource, but Youth Specialties was the first um, youth ministry conference that I ever went to, and I was blown away. And uh, it was so long ago that uh, they, it was in San Diego, and they welcomed a brand new band that was just starting up, and it was a bunch of young kids, and they were called Switchfoot. Oh, Oh, wow. <laughs> Little John Foreman up on the front. and uh, But I just remember how, like, this world of youth ministry kind of came alive at Youth Specialties for me. And, uh, and it had a pretty significant impact on my life. I, I went for many, many years, got a little conferenced out. I'm, uh, I've gone to a lot of conferences. But uh, what's interesting is Youth Specialties got sold a few years ago, and then it got resold again. And now it's under down... Uh, with uh, Doug Fields and Josh Griffin um, with not simply download youth ministry and uh, and so they're taking it on and uh, they are not reviving it because these specialties has been around but uh, I feel like there's a whole kind of new energy uh, with the excitement of youth specialties for a while there was like many many youth conferences and they were all kind of competing and those have kind of faded away and so uh, in uh, I believe it's in November uh, the Youth Specialties Conference is coming up in St. Louis. And so uh, that's something to uh, to try to attend if you can. Um, and if you can't, they uh, they usually do downloadable sources resources from that conference. There, there's just something about going to uh, any sort of conference with youth workers that you, you just get excited and you feel like you're not alone no matter what you're going through. So um, something to look forward to. Specialties conference. Yeah, I got to go to one um, as a department. We went to one um, a couple years ago, and it was so good. Um, I thought just the, the teaching, the content, the workshops, the worship, everything—the whole experience was just like it. Just the attention to detail was awesome. Well, except for the city of Cincinnati, that was that was rough. <laughs> well, it wasn't lie. a bad city. It's just cold. It was cold, and it was kind of. Mm. Uh, I don't. I, maybe it's just the location we were in. Maybe we just didn't get a chance to see the real. Natty. It's possible. The or Natty. Or maybe we saw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so mine is um, just something interesting that I heard about recently. Um, there was a professor from Cal State Berkeley, and he um, published a study on sleep. So he spent um, time um, studying people's um, sleep habits and the impact of getting like a little bit of sleep versus a lot of sleep. And um his name is uh, Matthew Walker, and um, his book is called The Importance of Sleep. And um, it was really, really interesting. So people who don't sleep a lot, um, it, it was crazy. It impacted um, like their long-term health. So it impacted um, things like diabetes and obesity and um, Alzheimer's and all these different things. And then um, what particularly stood out to me was they studied um, teenagers 
And so um, they studied schools that pushed back the the time, the start time for school. So most high schools start school really, really early, like 730, 7 o'clock, that kind of thing. So they pushed it back in. Um, they, they studied a few different school districts, but they pushed it back and started school at like 830 or something. And they found that academic performance improved, sports performance um, improved, just overall kind of like mental health and attitudes and all that kind of stuff improved, um, they believe, because kids were getting more sleep. So I'm just curious, um, have you guys had any kind of experience with with that or um, anything? Well, first of all, this is the third time that we've talked about sleep on the podcast. So I, maybe we have issues. Uh, maybe or, we need sleep <laughs> or obsessions, but I have zero problem of sleeping. Uh, given the state I'm currently in, if I was to go into a cold room and there was a, a couch or a chair, anything, I could be asleep in minutes, like literally minutes. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty regimented on sleep. I uh, obviously at events or if you have to do stuff different, but at home I'm, 10 o'clock in bed and then I'm up at 6, 6.15 and it's pretty regimented. Even like on the weekends, I have a hard time even sleeping. Are we making a case to do away with lock-ins? I hate lock-ins. Potentially. Lock-ins, <laughs> lock-ins are, I mean, really one of, uh, one of the worst ideas, I think, in all of youth ministry, a lock-in is. And people I never love liked it. them. People love it, but they forget the hours of like 2 o'clock in the morning to like 7 o'clock in the morning. It's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. It's a, it's a terrible idea. I would chime in faster on this, but I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I yeah, sleep is great, and I think I can do- totally feel the difference. Um, even as a musician and as as an employee, you can feel a difference when you don't sleep well. Um, and a lot of it, I guess affects, it affects me more in remembering things and forget things more, more often than I do when I'm like, got a full like amount of sleep. Um, but to that end, lock-ins are terrible. And I remember as a kid, I slept through lock-ins. So I didn't really get what was the point of a lock-in. Um, you're, the lock-in is like, you should just call it anti-health event. (laughs) We had a girl, uh, I remember one of our lock-ins, uh, they were playing dodgeball or tag, and we had hardwood floors, like the real hardwood floors, mm-hmm. and they were playing barefooted, and you can just already know what happened. There was just a splinter sticking out of one oh. of them, and girl got a splinter oh. in her foot. Um, wow. And so that was, I think that was our last lock-in. I bet she doesn't <laughs> like lock-ins. She doesn't like lock-ins. I will say, um, uh, Ed Covert, who is camp director at Camp Redwood Glen, he was attending our core for a while, and he came up with the idea of doing a lockout. And that was interesting because what we did is um, through the help of social service at our core, they had um, a couple people, one that was formerly homeless, and then one, a couple that was currently homeless, and came and talked to the kids about being homeless and what that whole world is like. And I was fascinated. I was sitting there, man, I got questions. And then uh, we collected a bunch of cardboard through from the ARC. And then the kids walked out to the front of the core, uh, which on our street, uh, there's, there's several homeless people that live on our street. 
um, we the kids were homeless that night. They built their own little shelters, and uh, and then there was four of us that stayed up all night to supervise, and so they get to experience what that was, and that was that was cool. I mean, it was hard, and everyone was tired, but it was the reality, and uh, they get to some of their fears. Um, they got to understand what homeless people deal with because the, the the people who shared with us were like, it's scary to be out during this time and you have to get used to it. It takes a while. And like those kids get to experience those actual feelings rather than listening to it. It was interesting. It was fascinating. I, I, I like that, but yeah, lock in that's usually involved like garbage food. Right. And then you wake, it's like you've been in a, an accident. The movie the, nobody wants to watch. The next morning. Well, and they always do it like before Sunday. Yes, and so like always. Sunday comes, everyone's just awfully, I mean, they're sleeping and no one's paying attention. It's And know. people show up to church, you're already there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'd be fine if we didn't have to do those anymore. Uh, my uh, recommendation is uh, I recently, we were at my church, we had a, uh, a kind of a mini conference. Uh, we had Doug Fields. And you mentioned him, he came uh, and he talked about intentional parenting. He has a book about it. But anyways, the the short version is it just teaches you uh, how to be more focused as a parent. And the great thing about this is that nobody teaches you how to be a parent. You just kind of go off of what you know from how you were parented or parent raised. Right. <laughs> uh, and so um, anyways, there's a lot of there was a lot of really cool things that my wife and I got to learn and a lot of things that we're starting to apply, and uh, it's really good stuff. I have not read the whole book. I, we're work. We're going through a workbook right now. It's kind of a shorter version of it, um, but I am eager and looking forward to checking out the book and getting into it. Um, like one of the interesting things my wife and I were talking about is how kids don't really go out and play so much now, um, and I've noticed that we've had to get over sort of fear of letting our kid go out. Maybe I'm just like this new modern parent who's afraid of the outdoors. But I remember as a kid, I was always out and about like, you know, miles from home on my bike at a really young age. And it was cool. Your parent, you learned a few things here and there, but, but, um, just nowadays it just feels very like, you know, a little more paranoia about it. But uh, my, my parents did a lockout. <laughs> <laughs> just don't let you back in the house. <laughs> I won't be so tired of us. She's like, nope. We never yours. wanted to be inside. We always wanted to be yeah, inside. Yeah, but honestly, if we had the luxuries, like, we had iPads and that kind of stuff. True. I had video games. Uh, I wasn't allowed to have video games. Oh, I had video games, but I, I had a good amount of outside time, too. Um, and that was just because I, I liked it and had friends and I liked socializing and all that. Um, and so I just feel like we're, I don't know, maybe we've sort of have this culture of fear of the outdoors now. And it's kind of, I feel like it's. When you talk to parents and you say, you let your kid play outside by themselves, it's just this crazy thing that, you know, you know, we're going to call CPS on you yeah. <laughs> for letting your kid play outside. Um, but it was a lot to think about. It was just a lot to think, to kind of rethink about, you know, the amount of trust you give your kids and, and that remembering that you're raising adults basically. And so how, you know, how independent do you want them to be? And so well, everything is scheduled. You have to have a play date and schedules have to be made. Right. We're trying to control it a little too much. And so I think it is It is a little bit of giving up some control yeah. and not being so like, you know, not gripping it too tight. And so, but yeah, I recommend it. Go check it out. Intentional Parenting, Doug Fields. And yeah. 
Um, we are super excited to have Majors Rob and Amy Reardon with us. Um, just before we talk about your experience as officers, um, we want to give our listeners just a chance to get to know you guys. So I hear you guys have something in common that has to do with a stuffed animal. <laughs> Animals. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, we uh, we were just talking and realized that we both had a sa- the same habit as children, even though we grew up, he grew up in Toronto. I grew up in the, in Orange County, California, and I'm older than he is. So we aren't even exactly the same in age or anything, but both of us had the habit of practicing ministry on our stuffed animals. And I used to like witness and try to lead my stuffed animals to Christ, which they always did, uh, except <laughs> Christ. Mm-hmm. And Rob used to uh, line his up and preach to them. I, I honed my skills on stuffed animals. Yeah, you had some good altar calls, I think, right? I think so. <laughs> uh, yep. How did you deal with uh, lack of feedback? Or was there feedback? Oh, there was feedback. Oh, okay. In my case. Was it yeah. a charismatic <laughs> group? There is levitation and all kinds of things. Tongues. and Tongues. Spiritual gifts. <laughs> arms yeah. falling off. Stuffing everywhere. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's pretty bizarre that both of you guys did it. Like, Crazy The act bizarre. itself is not bizarre. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but no, not at all. The fact that both of you guys did that. I mean, I'm sure we all did something like that. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that All is right. bizarre. So, um, how long have you guys been officers? Let's see. I've been an officer a year longer than you have. What have I been? 20, one, 20 years? 21. 21. No, 20 years for me and 19 for him. And yeah, it was back in the day where I served a year and I met him. So I had to leave officership to marry him. Oh, wow. Do they still do that? No. No. Okay. And I only did it because we knew that he was going to be an officer also. So I had to step out and we got married. And then a year later we went to training. I don't advise this kids. Um, maybe leave a little more time married before you do that. But a year later we went to training college together where they gave me a job and he went, he was a cadet. So that's why I have one more year of officership than he does. You were commissioned in 94. I was commissioned in 98. Oh, yeah. So you do have 20 years. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. I have 21. Rob, why did you come to America? Um, what like what brought you to America? Mark Barrington Hall. He was the divisional music director in Oregon, Cascade. And I came and did music conservatory with him in 92. Came down um, for WMI that summer. Met everyone. And um, was invited back that following Christmas to play in a quartet in Denver. And then I was invited by the uh, DYS was Guy Hawk. And um, he invited me to apply as a core assistant youth pastor at um, Denver Citadel. And I did. And they gave me a job. So I came, went home after the Christmas gig was over, came back in February and haven't left. I've been in the States ever since. So that was February of 1993. Wow. Are, are you a U.S. citizen? Not yet. Green card. <laughs> she married me for so I could get a green card. Right. That what it, was? it all hinges yeah. on me. And yeah. how did you guys meet, actually? Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> well, we actually met. Um, we met. My first appointment was assistant DYS in Denver, and he was a, a youth pastor in Denver. 
So we met at camp. But tell them, tell them the story. This is a great story, and very few people believe it, but it's absolute truth. Our divisional band, the um, the Intermountain Divisional Band, was one of the duty bands at commissioning in 1994. And on the appointments during the appointment service, we we weren't on duty as another band. We I was up in the balcony with a friend. And we had the commissioning booklet and we were just going through looking at all the pictures of the cadets. And I pointed at Amy's picture and elbowed my friend and said, if she gets appointed to Denver, I'm going to marry her. And the cadet before Amy walks across the stage and her appointment was assistant corps officer at Denver Citadel. My friend starts laughing his head off because I missed it by one. Amy comes across the stage and gets appointed to Intermountain Divisional Headquarters as assistant DYS, and my heart dropped because I had no idea what I was going to do at that point. Yeah, well, you did nothing. I did nothing. You didn't ask me out. I had to ask him out. I was what? scared to death. You showed up, and I, I was, you know, I did not want to mess anything up, so I wasn't going to open my mouth. You were Joe Cool. That's true. <laughs> it was a, it was a, I guess I did a good job faking that one. <laughs> did you ask her to, for marriage? No. Or did she do that too? Was, oh, I, eventually I did, but our first, the first time we ever went out, you asked me after church if you said, you know, you asked me after church, can we hang out? And I'm like, whatever. Sure. Yeah, it was Let's. super cool about it. Like, <laughs> I guess so. And then I felt really foolish. So then on our first official date was your birthday. Yeah. And you called me up and said, it's my, um, can I tell the age? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's my 30th birthday and I don't have anything to do. Come and take me out. And I said, okay. And I was there in 10 minutes and we went to a movie and dinner and never looked back. Shawshank Redemption. Nice. So I think Ooh. that was, that was <laughs> October. <laughs> when you said, okay, you were really in your car outside. Of I was, house at that seriously, point. I was, well, this was pre cell phone <laughs> days, you know, barely out of rotary phone days, but, um, but I was, I was about 20 minutes down the road. I think. Yeah, but you got there in five. It was amazing. There very quickly. Like peeling out. Yeah. Like in my 15 passenger van that was assigned to me by my core. But, um, it, it was really a God thing because, you know, I actually had a son. I was divorced and had a son and I managed to get a babysitter like that. He just called up uh, Jen. She's a youth pastor now at um, Grand Junction. Grand Junction. And she said, yeah, I'll be right over. Yep. And everything so, worked out. Yeah. And then uh, that was August, October 6th. And I think I asked you to marry me on October 13th. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 it wasn't that fast, but <laughs> it was close enough. And that, proposal was one for the record books it was during ypl you remember ypl days youth group days and we were waiting for the pizza guy to show up we were at a lieutenant amy's apartment with the youth group and we went to take the trash out and the youth group was hanging over the balcony because they knew what was coming and you threatened oh you proposed to me at the trash at the trash bin, bin. yeah as we were throwing the trash yeah. out and you said please Romantic. don't get down <laughs> it was on, lovely do not get down on one knee <laughs> and all the kids were like say yes lieutenant amy say yes well, that's that and she did she was forced into it by a bunch of teenagers you're uh, well, you're 100 right i've never heard a proposal story like that exactly <laughs> <Same. right? laughs> it's romantic and functional and 
It's good content. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's right. It worked. Yep. 23 years next Monday. So wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh my. So since um, being officers together, um, what are some of the appointments that you guys have had? Okay. So our first one together was to Phoenix South Mountain, which is now the Croc Center. But at that point, it was it was like kind of like a little Croc Center, uh, but it wasn't one actually. Right. That was um, down in South Phoenix with yep. a couple of gyms, daycare, youth center. Or yeah, one. And then from there, we went back to Denver Citadel, where I was a youth pastor for four years. We went, came back to Denver Citadel as core officers, um, and spent three wonderful years there before mm-hmm. being sent to Seattle to be DYSs in year two thousand, which was fantastic. We spent five years as uh, DYSs in Seattle. Loved every moment of it. And then we were moved to National Headquarters. Um, where I was the editor for YS Magazine and an assistant um, editor-in-chief. And Rob was the... National Young Adult Initiatives Coordinator for um, our, most of my time at National And that got me into um, talking with other agencies, nonprofits, corporations about how to better connect with the millennial generation. We did that for five years. I did that for five years. Advisory board and different um, churches and other companies. It was a really cool time for us. We got to um, travel around a lot and speak at a lot of different things and and get to know Salvationists all across the country and really in other parts of the world as well. It was really great for us. Very eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, we got sent back to Seattle, but this time as the core officers of Seattle Temple, which is where we are now. Yep. We've been there for four years. So you guys were in administrative appointments for 10 years? 11 11 years. 11 years. And then uh, you get appointed to uh, Seattle Temple to be core officers uh, again. Uh, tell us about like that moment when they told you you guys are going to be core officers at Seattle Temple, uh, the feelings of, of, of that, because you had been 10 years removed from that that kind of pace. Uh, what, what was that like? Well, we never... We never went far from core life. I mean, even when we were at DYSs and when we were at national headquarters, we were we tried to remain very involved in the in the core ministry. We our kids needed to participate, and um, I think especially at national headquarters, the the evenings and weekends were very um, free for us. We didn't have a lot of obligations other than the, the speaking and traveling obligations. So. Mm-hmm. We were able to participate in the midweek programs. We played in the band. We both played in the National Capital Band in Virginia and really stayed involved and soldiered as best as we could. And, and that helped kept us kept us active. So coming back as to to a core after eleven years out, it, it was it was kind of surprising. I, I had to ask I, I received the call by myself because Amy was actually in an airplane flying to San Francisco when um, Colonel O'Brien called me to let me know what our appointment was going to be. So I talked it through with him. I was surprised. I was very happy, very pleased. And I was able to call Amy um, later that evening and let her know what we had been told. Yeah, there is a big difference. We, I mean, we were very involved in our core but it's a big difference between being between soldiering in a corps and being the corps officer. So I think I was very surprised about the appointment, but we were pleased because um, as much as we loved being in Virginia, 
we had soldiered at Seattle Temple when we were DYSs, and we always missed it. Yeah. We, we loved Seattle Temple. And so to get to come back and be Corps officers was really kind of a, a big treat. Yeah, and it, it, I, I was telling someone last week, it's it was unique for us. It's unique for us in that this is our second appointment where we have history there previously. We, we, came, we came to Denver Citadel after ha- I had been the youth pastor and we got married at Denver Citadel and we spent considerable amount of time at Denver Citadel before officership. And then to come back as Corps officers was just a, a, a dream, a luxury. And then to come back to Seattle Temple after soldiering there as DYSs for five years, come back as the Corps officers was just as much a luxury and a dream mm-hmm. because there was no there was no getting to know you period at all with the congregation. Right. They knew us. We knew them. There was already a trust factor. Um they knew enough about us to trust our our direction and our, our leadership. And we knew enough about them to be able to challenge in appropriate and appropriate ways to to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. How did you prepare uh like you, you go from uh, in I love that you guys were involved and stayed involved, but there it's a difference about being involved and staying involved and to having to go and preach every week, yeah. create that calendar and do all that stuff. So, so how did you kind of prepare to do that? Do you, uh, I've always been curious, do you pull like old calendar sermons that you've done from uh, previous times and, <laughs> and update them? Because I think that's, I, I'm totally fine with that. But yeah. like, so how do you prepare? You know that you're going into it. So you have a little bit of time to, to work on that. How do, how do you prepare for that? Well, I personally can't do that. Um, I can only, I think, preach effectively when I'm preaching to myself and when I'm when I'm fresh in the moment. Not that there's anything wrong with what you just described. Sure, yeah. As one friend to me who said to me, hey, the Holy Spirit was there when you prepared that sermon last year. So we can still use, you know. But for me, it doesn't work like that. Every every sermon is new, um, so it it was a shock to the system to get on this regular basis again, and um, yeah, but but a joy, you know. We like to preach, so um, yeah. we, we both really enjoy preaching, and um, but I'm not organized enough to save any of my sermons, so I've not saved <laughs> yeah, <there's> one that <laughs> sermon in my entire officership. I couldn't tell you. Um, I couldn't put my hands on any box, any binder, anything that had anything that I've previously preached. I I, I remember um, topics or I remember uh, certain things about certain sermons, but I there's no rehashing with any of my sermons, and and I like to keep it like Amy. I like to keep my sermons fresh by preparing um, each sermon brand new as as we move into it. The cool thing about it is. The Bible is always fresh and new. You know what I mean? Like I can preach, we could do a sermon series on Romans this year. And we might've done a sermon series on Romans two years ago, but it's going to be totally different this time because it's living and active. Right. One one thing I do remember, we preached um, recently at Saddle Temple. We did a series on the seven churches in Revelation. And so we did, we preached through all of those, uh, the messages to each of those churches and I remember only because my son, our son Kyle, made fun of me. Um, we preached the similar, we preached the same series, preaching to the the spirits. What does the spirit say to the churches in Revelation at Denver Citadel? 
and he and a friend would always make fun of a phrase that I used during that sermon series. So I avoided that phrase in this new sermon series at, at Seattle Temple. Yeah. Never used it once. <laughs> Yeah. How, um, how do you how like how do you prepare to be a core officer? I mean, I know you you have to. I mean, everyone goes to training school, but like, what's the preparation of going into a new core? Um, in like what what advice basically would you be giving? I don't know that there really is a preparation stage because I mean it's go 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 right. There's never really and and you don't get much time when you receive a new appointment. You just start packing, right? There, right. there isn't much time. Um, so I think for me, the best advice that I could give, if it's advice, I, it, it, all, it all hinges on your personal spiritual life. You must be in the word of God. You must be living a vibrant spiritual life or you have nothing to give, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. You have to be in the word. You have to have your de- your own devotional life as active and, and vibrant as you can. But one of the practical things that we did right away when we arrived in Seattle, um, we made we made an effort and made intentional visits to all of the senior members of the Corps. Um, we wanted to show them honor and respect. And, and you mean, I'm sorry, you mean senior as in the older people? The older, yeah, the older, yeah, the yeah. older, the older generation of the core um, to just make sure that they understood that they were valued and we were listening to them and we wanted to hear from them. And, um, and then we, we, we started just this regimen of, and it was not a regimen. Regimen sounds too sterile, but it was a joy to go visit them in their homes and have them come to our home and, and hear their history, hear their, hear their heart. And, um, I think that really got us off on the right foot. when we Seattle. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of something that Rob started that I think has been really critical to our ministry. Um, and that I would really advise anybody do. And it's, um, we have these three meetings in the summer called mission summit and the people of the core are invited to come and meet with us and we meet for two hours on a Saturday for three separate Saturdays. And during that, we discuss what is this course supposed to be doing? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do in this community right now? And from those meetings, we set our agenda, um, which of our activities will take priority, what things we need to let go of, what things we need to add and all of that kind of thing. And um, we don't want to come in like we know it all, especially when you come into a new core. That's not your community, Right. right. You don't know it, but the people do, and um, they need to be part of of that, and they need to be completely dialed in and part of the mission. And they need to be invited to the table, yeah, so that they have um, they're invested in, in the effort that's going to go forward. It can't rely solely on the efforts of the core officers. It has to be um, a very much a combined effort. Yeah, so we're doing that every two years. You so do you guys go in um, to a new appointment with like a vision for that um, that ministry, or does that kind of take shape out of the summits and and meeting with people? Yeah, I think it takes shape. You have to be respectful about what's been happening there. I, I mean, the worst thing you can do is go in guns blazing. Now we're gonna X Y Z, and I know you were headed down this path, but whoop, we're gonna go down this path. Um, it's disrespectful to the ministry that's been already taking place. 
you know, the Holy Spirit was there before you were, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yes and no. Um, when we, when we got back to Denver Citadel after being gone for four years, we had, we had significant history there previous to our going into training college that we, we recognized and we were part of some difficult times in within that congregation. And we knew over the course of our absence while we were at training school in, in Phoenix, we knew that some of those, um, some of those feelings were still there, those hard feelings, those um, hurt feelings. So I remember on our first Sunday standing up and, and just becoming, telling the congregation, we all lived that together. We, we know the history, we know the hurt, we know the pain. Now is a new day. Let's leave that behind us and move forward and, and see what God has in store, you know, in it, allowing them to just put that behind them. And then it's never happened un, until coming to Seattle Temple. The Lord, the Lord speaks to us all the time in different ways, but I, I really feel that coming into Seattle Temple, God did give me um, some vision for what he would like to see happen in Seattle and particularly the extended um, service area that the core has. It's a, it's a fairly substantial geographic area up in the North King County area of Seattle. And I vividly remember praying about the appointment and hearing the Lord say to me um, specific things about um, more mission and um, attention to social services and and expansion of what the core was doing. The core is a fantastic core musically. We have wonderful musicians, strong musical sections, uh, a history of of music that is second to none in the territory. But what I felt the Lord saying is, it's time for Seattle Temple to be known for something more than just a good music core. Let's be known for a core, a congregation, a people that loves people. And so we began to to work with the congregation to to turn our focus outward. And um, it's just been a blessing to see the, the congregation come alive. Um, people found are, are have newfound energy and and excitement about going out into the streets and um, with the with the skills and gifts that we have, you know, we every year in July we march in a local parade, and that's just grown from the band and the flags to the band, a bunch of kids marching with tambourines, uh, a Salvation Army mascot, a wrapped VW bug, um, serving hot dogs in our parking lot, and then this year we did a food drive for our our food bank, and all these people coming together for this evening and it's exciting to see the um the energy that the congregation is putting behind them. Um I, I just think I've said this before, we we're in the right place at the right time for a new move of the Holy Spirit in Seattle. And we just feel blessed by that. That's great. What makes a good officer? I don't know if you want to ask us. Uh, <laughs> I, I think just show up. I mean, you've seen good officers, yeah. uh, even yeah. if you don't want to call yourself good officers. I think you guys are good officers, but thank you. Wh- what makes what makes a good officer? Uh, humility. 
show up, do the work, um, put in your time, be dependable. Uh, we had a, a, a soldier ask us in a previous core appointment, um, and I've heard, I've held on to this now for over a decade. Um, just please return our calls within 24 hours. And the first thought when I, I heard the first, one I heard that I, I thought, you mean no one's calling you back? I don't understand that. This was before cell phones. Um, so, but now 15 years later, I still remember that, that request. And, and, you know, if someone is calling us or someone is reaching out to us, it's, it's important for us to respond. That's what we're there for. Um, we need to be available. I think availability is the key and not just to our congregation, to the community at large. Um, John Wesley, um, said once that the world was his parish. We, we hold on to that pretty, pretty, pretty solidly that we're not just pastors to a local congregation in Seattle, but we're pastors to a community, um, as the opportunity opens itself, whether it's disaster relief or, um, through a food bank or through social services, we need, just need to be available to the community at large. I'd like to add, I think a good officer activates the spiritual gifts in his or her people and takes advantage of even their, their natural talents. Um, I think it's a shame when the officer uh, wants to do 10 hundred things and there are all these capable people who are soldiers and maybe some are not soldiers, but I always say a soldier should march. Why would you become a soldier if you're not going to be active in the war? And even if you're not a soldier, if you're present in that congregation and you're a child of God, then God has stuff for you to do. And he didn't overlook you when you got spiritual gifts, when he was giving out spiritual gifts. So I think a good officer um, helps and makes sure that everybody, even children, that their spiritual gifts are put into play. I think that's important. Amy told Amy told me a story a long time ago about um, when 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 you were a soldier, I, maybe you were even a, a, a new officer. You showed up at a at a Thanksgiving community Thanksgiving meal in uniform to help, and you were turned away because they did it. They had enough volunteers, and that's that is something that we we try never we will never be in the position where we'll turn away soldiers yeah, in fact, I was, we want more soldiers to be active and engaged yeah i was a i was um a soldier and the corps officer turned me away and there were no other soldiers there it was all community volunteers and um there i was in my uniform and told that i wasn't needed and i just wanted to represent you know yeah uh shifting gears uh, those are really good answers and i think uh that that's good advice, not just for officers, uh, but for leaders as well. Um, uh, you guys have spoken a lot. You guys, uh, core officers, you have to speak every week, and or you get to speak. I shouldn't say have to <laughs> get to speak every week. Um, and you've you've spoken around at least the United States. Um, tell me about a time that you've just kind of had like a a fumble meltdown type in the middle of a sermon. Uh, like I'll, I'll tell you, I was at, I was speaking at CBLI one time and I might just started buffering and I couldn't, 
<laughs> like I couldn't think of anything. It was like right smack in the middle and I could not function. I looked down at my notes and my notes like turned upside down and <laughs> and it, it was all in the span of like 38 seconds, but it felt like five minutes type thing. Like, uh, and then, yeah. And then how did you recover or something like that? Uh, let me go first. Cause it's more recent, I think than, okay. than yours might be Amy, but we, we decided a couple of years ago that we were going to move church to one of our, to, to one of our outside parking lots. And, um, it was, it was a beautiful day in Seattle. I think it was in September and it was the, the temperature was perfect and the band came out, the praise band came out and the seat, the chairs were all assembled and we start, I got up to preach. Everything was going perfectly. I get up to preach and I'm using my, um, using an iPad to preach from and it, because of the sunlight, it got too hot. It got too hot and everything, it shut down. And I had nothing to go, nothing to go on. I, you know, I, I use Evernote for all my sermon okay, notes. Yeah. So everything was on Evernote. I didn't have it on paper. I didn't, I didn't print an extra copy. It was just right there. And I just, I shot from the hip at that one. You know, I, it was done. <laughs> <laughs> Which are always his longest. Not that you do that uh, regularly. <laughs> if, I, if I don't follow my notes, my sermons become very long. Longer, longer, yeah. longer, longer. I think that's a rap. generic statement that <laughs> yeah, 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 is not just applied to Rob in this case. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm thinking of a time. Um, it's a little bit different from what, from preaching, but uh, I was invited to go to this powerhouse um, conference of spiritual leaders. And, I was sent as a representative of NHQ. I think somebody else couldn't make it. So for some reason they chose me and another officer. And it was all these like bishops and famous people, people whose books I'd read. And I'm just looking around the room. Wow. And uh, my whole life I'd wanted to meet Jim Wallace and he was there. I wound up having lunch with him. If I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. it was amazing. So all these people and each night of the conference, they had a, a church family. They could, they like, we, I was in the evangelical family and they would have one family do the evening service. So I got asked to read the scripture and I'm seriously, I got full of myself. I'm like, yeah, that's right. At <laughs> all these people, guess who gets to participate? Amy, you know, and I just think, I mean, like, I, I really felt pretty good about myself, really? to be honest with you. And so I got up there to read the scripture and all of a sudden my eyes started twitching and I mean, it just went like bananas and then it started tearing and... <laughs> And tears are streaming out of my eyes and I can barely see the words in front of me and I'm fumbling and it was just humiliating, you know, the and Lord I was just, saying, oh yeah. Yeah. The Lord was like, yeah, you, you big Amy, you That's big. So, <laughs> I sat down and I was just, I, I got through it, but it was, it was really embarrassing and the Lord put me in my place. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Go ahead, Megan. Sorry, I know I've, I've asked like five questions right. or not anywhere. I'm, I'm just That's curious. Right. I, um, you guys mentioned before that you both enjoy preaching. Um, I'm curious, like from from your first core appointment to now, um, how have your like ministry roles uh, have they stayed the same? Have they changed at all? Um, I'm always just curious from officers who have been in the game for a while, um, what has changed? Can I just say? Well, and, and you'll appreciate that we've 
been preaching through a couple of decades here. So I went through a real period of, I don't know if I should say this, but sort of like a focus on the family kind of um, woman period where I thought that I should play a particular role as a woman. And that's not me. That's not who I am. Uh, but I, we were living in Colorado. That was very much the culture. And I had small children. And I thought, although I did preach, I, I was putting a lot of emphasis on sort of, I don't know, making flowery centerpieces. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I shouldn't, you know, I don't want to disparage that. But it's not who I am. And uh, it was a good thing, I think, that we didn't stay in that appointment too long because I was trying to be somebody other than who I was and it was crushing who God made me to be. So in that way I've changed and I've embraced, uh, who did God, who God did create me to be. Right. I'll, I'll never forget, um, walking into our first appointment and this doesn't have anything to do with preaching necessarily. It has to do with, um, relation relating to people. And, um, I, I've really, I struggle even, I struggle with, with my, I have a very healthy ego and, um, if I don't keep it in check, it can get pretty obnoxious. And, um, I remember, remember meeting, um, when we moved to Phoenix, meeting with our advisory board chairman, the chairperson, chairwoman, and, it wasn't so much ego as um, an innocent mistake, but she came into our our office and she she said, "How should I address you?" Or we were just beginning to get to know each other, and and I said, "Well, you can call me Lieutenant Rahab," and that offended her because she of her status in the community, and it, it I just it it struck me that you know I we shouldn't be too full of ourselves back to the humility statement. Yeah. Um, and I said this, I said this once at a, a, an event in the Southern territory, my identity is not wrapped up in my appointment or my rank. My identity is as Rob. God made Rob. The Salvation Army gives me rank. Um, but when we're relating to, to people, we need to be able to relate on their level. And um, it's not always or necessarily going to be as lieutenant, captain, major. It needs to be something that they can relate to, someone that they can relate to. And that was an early lesson. Um, but I think some of the things that, one of the more substantial things that have changed over our time as officers um, in terms of ministry style, um, I've become a feminist in, in, mm -hmm. in my ministry style. And I, I believe that God has raised up godly women to preach the word, to teach the timeless truths of scripture. And it grieves me when women are held back because of their gender. And, um, I think I played a part in that in my early officership thinking I needed to be captain and my wife was Mrs. Captain. Um, and I think that I think that's a, a very it's an egregious sin on our organization that we took so long to catch up with our ideology of equality among genders. Um, 
we shouldn't hold women back from anything that God has called them to do. And if we do, shame on us. And we need to be re- repent of that and stop it. So I, I'm not perfect in any in any way, shape, or form, but I really try hard to make sure that Amy gets equal billing, if not more, than than me. Um, and it's it's like turning the it's like turning changing direction of the Titanic mm-hmm. because it's so ingrained in people that the husband is the leader and the wife is the pastor's wife and. Um, I try very hard to change that perception um, every chance I get. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that the younger generation sees that as much or understands that as much, but certainly our generation has, has suffered with it. And even now uh, people who aren't as young as you are, Megan will, will constantly go to Rob and, um, and call me, you know, the officer's wife and, and it just, it's like little pinpricks, you know, and, and you just, it's exhausting. Um, but things are changing, right? Things are changing. Uh, like Rob said, it's like turning around the Titanic, but, uh, it's kind of sad to be part of the generation who's had to do all the, all the, uh, what do you call it? Struggling. The turning of the wheel, (laughs) you know, rather than the generation that's benefiting from it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the original question? Yeah, you answered it. Yeah, okay. no, that's good. <laughs> sorry, that was great. <laughs> Stop, Amy. Yeah, sorry. No, that was good. I, there's a funny story though that goes against everything I just said about <laughs> you know women, the women equal uh, place of women, and that happened in Denver at Christmas time when Amy was leading the singing company, and um, one of one of the singing <laughs> company members. Just as just as the sing company was about to sing, she projectile vomited this child oh, no. just in front of the congregation, just went everywhere. Awesome. And Amy Amy ran to the to the restroom and grabbed um, a, a rag and some towels and wet a towels, bucket. a bucket, and and I I got up to start preaching as Amy was on the floor in front of the the holiness table scrubbing on my the knees. carpet on her knees <laughs> and I that I, I, I should have not I should have been the one cleaning oh, well. <laughs> and not Amy but or I should have left yes yeah, so just leave that till after uh, but I don't think so that was a picture no. yeah. <laughs> that would have been a bad decision yeah, that yeah, that, been, yeah. but it was so funny the visual of me you know down <laughs> on my knees <laughs> yeah Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much just for um, just for your honesty and for sitting down with us. Um, I I do want to say one more thing. Um, Amy, you've written a book not yeah. too long ago. Um, if um, can you tell us just a little bit about the book? Yeah, I'd really like to. Um, it's it's a book on Hebrews. Revealed. Holiness revealed. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not editing that. <laughs> Holiness revealed, and it um, it's a book about Hebrews. And here's here was my goal. I wanted to write a devotional book for people who've been a Christian for a while. So something a little meatier, something that something that reflects on God and not on me. Because a lot of devotional books seem to be, how do I feel about that? What do I think? Blah blah blah. And I wanted more focus on God himself. So what I tried to do was do a lot of scholarly research and then present you, the reader, with a book that has the research already done, 
It doesn't sound too scholarly, but it's got all the backup there. And then also asks you some hopefully thought-provoking questions without me trying to spoon-feed to you what the answer is. So it could be done either as an individual or as a group. And I'm writing another one now on the book of Colossians called Identity Revealed. Turned out to be a series. I did Holiness Revealed and Alan Satterley did um, Joy Revealed. And now I'm doing Identity Revealed. So it's a series. Yeah. And it's it's the first co-published between the Salvation Army and Wesleyan Publishing House. So um, those two are already out of Holiness Revealed and Joy Revealed. And then my next one, Identity Revealed, I think is going to come out in May. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Awesome. And if um, anyone wants to pick up a copy of Holiness Revealed, um, where could they find that? You could get it at Trade, Trade West. You can okay. get it on Amazon. You can get it on CBD, um, Christian Book Distributors. You could get it at, you know, From Wesleyan Publishing House. The two boxes in your office. <laughs> <laughs> Those are mine. Come on. <laughs> Autographed copies in Amy's office. No. Let, let's not forget that uh, Rob's got a Canadian YouTube tuba no, channel <laughs> where he, uh, he reviews Canadian tuba experts. Jim, no, it's it's an accordion oh, gosh. tribute channel. I yeah. forgot that you accordion. play accordion. I do. And I do. had I remembered, that would have happened this week. <laughs> a million there are reasons why I yeah I I did a duet with Hill Lions last summer where I played the accordion and I also um, had the a melodica hooked up and he played the melodica what I blew into it wow it was beautiful brought the house I uh, I will go right on the social media to try to find some <laughs> a video I've <laughs> I've wiped the media clean <laughs> we'll find it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being with us. Um, we'll have links to uh, Amy's book and, and the different things and the accordion <laughs> piece. <laughs> uh, we'll have links to everything below. We'll find that video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next episode. Thanks.